we'll wind down in the last uh, installment of, okay, so it gets cut off on that screen, but not on that one, got it. Um, the last installment on the life of, of Pope Krullos, um, spoiler alert, he dies. Um, but um, today's gospel, it's cool to see how they're running parallel because I think today's evening gospel also matches the ministry of uh, Pope Krullos very much. And I also think it's a gospel reading that a lot of people don't understand. Um, of like, what does it mean Christ saying, I came so that there can be son against father? Um, and what does he mean like in, that they need to hate me? They hate their mother or father or love me more. So the Lord here was saying, and this is we're going to see almost right away in Pope Krullos' life, him living this properly. Christ was saying, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. But he's not saying like I came here to, with my goal as starting a fight. But the sword of truth inevitably creates sides, right? When there comes to be a point of truth, you get stuck having to choose a side, right? When it comes to truth, if it's just opinion, it doesn't matter. Um, you, you, I mean, you can have a stance against gravity, but you might be foolish to do so, right? But the word love in its simplest forms, um, meant to choose. The emotions that we attach love to today um, are a consequence of what it actually meant, right? So you used to be able to say linguistically, because language has changed, the same way that like jealousy, repentance have different meanings today than the original words, right? Is that if you had option one and option two, if you chose option one, you could say grammatically, I loved one, right? It's just an objective thing. I just, I selected one, and consequently, I hated two. Because you could have option two versus option seven, and choose option two. And in that case, I loved two, and I hated seven. That's why Christ, why God says in the Old Testament, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. He didn't hate Esau in the, in the social sense. We developed emotions with it of like, why did I, why did I love A? affection, like all the, those positive things that we think about. Why did I reject B and all those negatives? So what Christ is saying here is, if you don't love truth, which is me, more than family, then you're not worthy of truth because you don't care about truth. You care about whatever it is that's making you do this. And why? Not because I have an ego trip. I designed family, <laughs> right? So it only has meaning because I made it. Right, And so its meaning is found when rooted in me who made it. I love family. I made it. I am family. I'm Trinity. Right? And so we'll see. And as he's saying, but unfortunately, but because people don't always care about what's right, in the events where you're forced to choose between what is right and what is comfortable, most of us choose what's comfortable. And that's what I'm saying. This gospel is going to be very appropriate to receive Pope Krullos because he says that the Christ is explicitly saying the division is going to come from within your own household. Right? He's not just talking about people from the outside. And this is what we're going to see as the monk has become Pope, that his, his hardest time was from within. Right? Actually, the outside was much nicer um, to him than the inside because he was unwaveringly looking for truth. So as we ended yesterday, 
Um, uh, Abu Amina Mutawahid, the solitary, was enthroned 116th Pope as Pope Carlos VI. I suspect he wasn't excited about his new name um, because he really liked Mary Mina. Um, but he accepted it. So there's, it's funny because everybody quotes, there's a quote from uh, Edward Waken, um, who wrote a book while Pope Carlos was alive. Um, and in it, he writes, the Pope remained a monk. And we all say it with pride and we say it like happily. And a lot of us don't realize that he was saying it, the author, as an insult. Um, like it just goes to, sh to show how, right? He was just like, that's not what people wanted. We didn't want a monk. We wanted a diplomat, we wanted a politician, we wanted this powerful house. And so they were actually disappointed, as we're going to see, of who Pope Krolos was. Um, I don't think it's an, an accident that Pope Krolos' glory and exaltation is after his death, right? That he's, he's receiving the due just reward for his deeds now. So I'm going to go through, I'm, like, I, I, I couldn't possibly again in one night do all of his papacy, so I'm just choosing random subheadings to, to zoom in on um, to get a glimpse of him as Pope and for lessons for us to learn. So number one, the patriarch remained a monk, okay? Um, and we're going to see these cool kind of like, what does it look like when a humble person is in a position of authority, right? Because right after his enthronement, of course, there's a hundred million parties, right? So a party was held for him, and there was cheers and ovations and a huge banquet, which is totally not his style, right? Like, he's never lived like that. And so very quietly, he sent one of his disciples to go get him tamayya and salata. So he's sitting at the banquet, and he's eating falafel and salad. And it's such an interesting juxtaposition, because here he is sitting at a banquet, right? And on the other hand, he's going with this simplicity. It's almost like he's saying, listen, I, I, I know the job comes with something, although I didn't choose the job. Um, but, and this is what I think is very cool about it, I want to set the tone for what I'm like. Right? This is day one. Let me be very clear. Right? I'm not going to be the guy you're going to win over with pomp. Right? I'm very aware of who I am. I have a duty to be at these things, but I'm me. Right? And me eats simply, so you don't get an idea of, of this. People often wonder if it's okay to be public about their asceticism. And sometimes the answer is yes. Right? If something is as a one-off and nobody's going to know or it doesn't matter, there's no issue. You don't need to make a public like spectacle or something. But if it's going to be a public, regular thing, it's helpful. Right? It's one thing to not tell somebody that you're fasting, but if you're going to live with them, they might need to know, right? Like it's a different, it's a different context. So showing that he's not going to be lavish was also a very big difference between him and the Pope before him, which was probably also a huge consolation to the people, right? Imagine if you get a new bishop enthroned and the very first thing he asks for is steak, right? Or a new house or a fancy phone, right? You might have actually wanted to give him that. Right? It might have been even something that you were excited to give. But if it's the first thing that he asks for, right, then it's like, huh, like, who's this guy? Right? Like, what's, what's going on here? Um, but imagine even more so if you come offering the most expensive car and he points at his old beat-up Kia and he goes, no, no, I like this one. Right? That's what Pope Cruz is doing. 
right? He's like, no, I'm, I'm actually fine with Pompeii. Um, you, you don't need to spend $100 million on this. Said differently, for Pope Carlos, sitting in the seat of king didn't make him eat like a king or act like a king. Even more remarkable is that even as patriarchs, so many of us think like when you reach a certain level, you don't need to do certain things anymore, right? But that was not the case for Pope Carlos. His canon was his canon, even as Pope. Food, he broke fast around noon or 3 p.m. or later if meetings ran late, but he was up from 3 a.m., that's a big deal, right? Because it's not like he woke up at 6 and he's just fasting for a handful of hours, right? He's been up and he's been working, he's making... Urban still, right? Usually his meal when he broke fast was urban and du'a. I don't know how to translate du'a. It's not tasty. Um, and occasionally some beans. His lunch was usually bread with cooked vegetables. Um, and his extravagance would be to dip the bread in the sauce of the veggies. Um, and sometimes not eat the veggies like many of us. Um, but for completely different reasons. Before sleeping, um, he might eat some fruit or bread. To get him to eat meat, there's a famous story from Bunar Fa'il, um, where the person who usually does Pope Cross's meals had to have some time off, so Bunar Fa'il had to take over. Um, and so Bunar Fa'il made him chicken. Um, and so he kept on coming back with the chicken untouched. Um, so when the guy came back, he was like, he wouldn't eat it, and he goes, you fool. Um, he goes, you have to mince it really meat, mix it into the shorba or the rice so that he can't separate it, and then he eats it. Um, and it's like, that was the only way <laughs> that they could get him to do it. Um, I'd have no problem eating the meat. Um, clothing, right? And again, this, this clothing, I want to see as a symbol of the character of Pope Krolos. The outside versus the inside. Okay, because the inner garments looked like sackcloth, right? And he wore an scheme on top of it and the monastic belt. On top of this, he wore a light inner galabeya, cassock. On top of it, the faragaya, right? That big, gigantic arm one. Um, he'd wear a shawl over his long hair. Um, like the outside is still simple, but it's clean. But they have no idea the asceticism and the austerity of what's underneath. Right? His goal was not to show people how he thinks. His asceticism was for him and God. Right? So he didn't have a public spectacle of, of yeah, I wear dirty clothes. Right? Like it was like, let me leak my virtue. Right? It was, no, let me look normal on the outside, not extravagant and not in poverty, not in shambles. Right? Let me just be as everybody else. What is between me and God? Same thing with his vestments. It was very rare for him to wear the extravagant vestments. There's a lot of pictures of him in it because those are photo ops. His normal <laughs> was not, right? In fact, there would be fights often about who would get him um, his papal garments. And he was like, I just like my white galabay as a monk. And he often just wore those. Um, the only thing is he often wouldn't change his shoes. He'd wear them down to the ground. Sleep, he was up at 3 a.m., did tazbaha in liturgy, which was about five hours worth. Then he'd be in meetings till late, interrupted only by vespers at six. Usually he'd go to his cell just before midnight, giving him at most three to four hours to sleep. At the same time, we know from his letters that this is the hours when he would be writing his letters. So on paper, he went to his room, 
but he wasn't going to bed, right? That was his next opportunity for even more pastoral care. So probably he was getting one to three hours of sleep per night as Pope. Every night, right? Like we're not talking about like he's, he did this for a week and he was done the retreat and moved on, right? I'm winding about three days, right? He did this for 12 years. He slept in a single bed, even though he's extremely tall, with a thin blanket. Um, he'd sleep on his side with his legs stretched straight, um, which a lot of people suggest is because of him sleeping on the pews, like we said yesterday. I suspect personally that this might also have been a monastic principle, um, where it's, it's considered inappropriate to lie on your, on your belly, right? Like to not stimulate any of the senses, right? So this, this in itself might also have been an aesthetical um, practice is why I'm drawing attention to that. Um, and he loved vigil. Liturgical prayer, he had a deep voice, which no offense, um, wasn't beautiful. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that for a reason, because sometimes we want to be around the person with the beautiful voice. But everybody loved his liturgy, because he was praying. Right? He wasn't known for having, like, he wouldn't be like, oh yeah, that's the recording I want. It'd be like, really? Um, he'd always pray with his head bowed. He closed his eyes, and he had almost no nagama, no lahna, almost no tune. Um, but just very reverent and, and, and fearful. Um, he never allowed himself to lean against the altar, right? Which is a sign again of his reverence, of saying, this is not, this is not my bed. Right, this is this is the table of God. It's the high priest table, high priest, which he understood very well to mean Christ, not himself. Right? Um, he would not talk with anyone during the liturgy. While praying, he used to shed many tears. Um, and he said it was the altar that would give him the greatest spiritual comfort. I want to think about what it looks like to see that. Right? Just think about that as a consistent thing. Right? I've being at churches where the priests are extremely liturgical and it's mind-blowing, right? It's a different culture right off the bat, right? Because when the people see the person presiding behave in a particular way, it comes right down, right? Because then it becomes, okay, this is not what we do apparently, right? Whereas when everything is pandemonium, that's what's going to follow. Um, but now imagine even more when this is the Pope. Um, sometimes he'd attend a liturgy and not pray. If there's other people, he did not like sharing liturgy. Um, that was not his forte. Um, but I think it's a deep sign of humility that he still attend, even though he's got like an abuna or a bishop that's praying and he's just present, right? He could easily check out, but he, he still would go. Um, the altar, as we said, was his consolation, and he would often tell bishops or priests, who come to pray with him, as we said, go, go use another altar. Um, when asked his strategy of reform, right, they're treating this like a campaign, like what's your turn in office going to look like? Um, his answer was, it's better not to speak and rather to pray, right, which, as we're going to see, really upset people. Um, his speech was, he's mostly silent, Right? His tongue was silent, but the heart beats. Um, which, again, is, is Isaac, right? That we talked about yesterday, right? That's Isaac the Syrian. Love silence above all things because it brings you near to fruit that the tongue cannot express, is what Isaac the Syrian says. Um, but that silence of the tongue, I think so people don't understand. The silence of the tongue 
leads to the silence of the heart, um, which is something that not many people um, have experienced. When a person has true silence of the heart, actually, a lot of other ascetic labors, as Isaac teaches, become unnecessary. Because the point of the ascetic labors is to silence certain things. So a person who's already silent doesn't, doesn't need to do certain things. And I think that's one of the reasons why Pope Corlus didn't have to do all of the same necessary labors that he might have been doing before, which we have no about because we, no one knows what's going on in his cell. Um, and in becoming silent, this is my meditation, it's not Isaac's, in case I butcher it, it's my fault. Um, think in, in becoming more silent, you hear much more acutely, right? In all ways, spiritually, physically, everything. You become attentive. And a person who is hearing, not listening, just listening, and he, like, but the whole package, like is entering physically, but something's going on here, that person... Every beat, every vibration becomes known to you, and you know it deeply, right? You, now you, you, you can identify quickly. It gives, I think, insight, right? It's, I, think, I think it's what gave him such acuity of sight of looking at people and understanding everything right away, right? Is that because he's so silent, all, he always is hearing. Um, Isaac says, and I'm quoting this part because this is what Pope Corlus will embody in the flesh incarnate. Isaac writes, even if you are wronged or cheated or mocked and so forth, a person who is silent, you will not be moved because of your love of stillness. Whoever enters into stillness without this continual rumination will not be able to bear those things that we are obliged to undergo and to endure from all sides. This is Pope Corlus. That, that sentence is him, as we're going to see. Um, and the reason why I'm writing out these rules or this canon is because people don't realize the meaning and depth and value of a canon. They view it as homework, right? Do you think that Pope Krolos, at every single meal, was actively thinking about how it might affect him tomorrow or after? I doubt it, right? I doubt every time he sat to me and me like, oh, if I eat like this today, tomorrow, like I, I doubt that was on the forefront of his mind. But the consistency of a rule and a rule that has meaning to how one actually lives, not a random one, right? Is a source of stability and firmness, right? It's actually a form of prayer. A canon is a form of prayer in and of itself. Not, it's not just a canon that includes prayer. Canon itself can be a form of prayer um, and not a small one, right? People want to be Pope Corliss, but I don't know that we act like him, right? How many of us are faithful in the rule? How many would have known that that silence of his is what would allow him not only to be mocked, right, which is a big deal, but to defend his mockers, right? Let's take it one step further. Prayer is a living thing. It's not a collection of words, right? The disposition of prayer is what filled him with peace. It's the meaning of being in communion with the Creator. How many of us complain that we can't do what we need or want because of environment? Right? M many of us complain about that thing. It's just my environment. Right? He was not in the environment that people would consider conducive to his rule. 
right? Nobody would have faulted Pope Carlos if he changed his rule as Pope. No one, right? They're like, Ataban, right? That Bobo, right? How can he abstain? He's Pope, everyone wants to cook for him, right? They joke about priests that you have to build a dome for the cross. Um, but they, he didn't, right? He just, he, he didn't. Prayer, as is often the case with many of us, as we talked about, was seen as a disappointment, right? People, like we said yesterday, are often like, other than prayer, what can I? But now take that attitude and recognize that is what all of the people were saying about their Pope. Why is that all you're doing? Right? And so their, their complaint against the head of their Christian church was that he prayed. That was the fault that they found in him. Pope and dignitaries. We're not going to spend lots of time here. There's, so, like, there's a many things that could be talked about to see what he was like in leadership. There was Sheikh Al-Azhar. There's his relationship with Ethiopia. Um, but I'm going to zoom in only on the, the president part, and also especially because we live in political times, that it's nice to see an example of how a holy person dealt with the political climate of his own time, and it was not an easy political climate. Um, Nasser is a very stigmatizing, stigmatized figure and a very polarizing figure, right? So dealing with him wasn't like a, a cup of tea. And so here's a relationship between church and state. And there's an expectation that there's some relationship um, between the two inevitably. So a friend of Nasser's, a high-ranking official, had experienced a miracle through the hands of Pope Krolos and ended up converting to Christianity. Okay, so he's a Muslim, became a Christian, because Pope Krolos had done a miracle. Pope Krolos, and, and this is the talk, maybe the most you're going to see some of the human sides of Pope Krolos, and it's nice. Pope Krolos grumbled that he had asked for an appointment with the president ten times and heard nothing. But the thing is, Pope Krolos might have had a role in this. Okay, is that apparently after his enthronement, the president summoned the Pope and said that he owes the president a visit. And Pope Cross replied, the patriarch has visited, he does not visit. Now, that can come off definitely like a slight, and it might be, right? Like, I, I, I'm still not sure where he's going to, and, it, and it, wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if he meant it, right? Like, he might have actually. At the same time, I'm not sure, because it's the same person who has innumerable times been totally fine with being trampled all over, right? So there might be something more to it. I suspect it might have also been to make the rules clear, right? That the role of the church is not to run to the president and sit at his feet, um, that it's a distinct role. I suspect that that might be what he was doing, but I don't know, maybe one day. So the president ended up sending a delegate, and this really, Pope Cruz was shetty, so Pope Cruz sent back two. <laughs> um, this annoyed Nasser, um, and so he complained to a Christian official about Pope Krolos, um, saying, like, that's not how it works. And so the Pope, Pope Krolos tells the guy, he, so the, the official comes to Pope Krolos to say, Nasser is annoyed. And Pope Krolos' reply was, I mean, the president didn't elect me, right? God and providence did. Um, and again, it's this knowledge of self, and I highly doubt he meant that even remotely egotistically. Um, and it seems even more clear that his, his point is that the church does not owe the state 
anything. He's trying to make that very clear. Um, and the church isn't looking for favors, and it's not trying to pursue a particular kind of relationship, saying, your state, we're a church, yes, there's a relationship, you do you, and we do you, right? We're just another aspect of society. Um, and I think it made an even stronger point that the Pope is not a puppet, right? That he's not going to run with excitement whenever government calls. Five months later from that episode, the Pope now wanted to meet the president because of problems affecting the church that warranted a conversation. With some intervention, the president finally agreed to meet, and the Pope went to meet him. But Nasa is flexing at this point. So he greeted him, and as they walked to the library, they're not even in an office yet. They're not even sitting down. And like for those of you who know Middle Eastern culture, like it's usually annoying. Like If you want to get down to business, you don't you have to have shay. Right and biscuits and talk about the weather and like dunya and all that kind of stuff, right? But you don't ever get right into it, or you're viewed as rude, as inhospitable, as not respecting your guests. So imagine when they haven't even sat down yet, and also just turns on Pope Cross and says, "What do you want? Right? What do you need?" And his "What you need" is not a kind. Oh, what do you need? It's like intosukui, right? It's contempt, right? It's 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 anger. Um, and so the Pope was affronted. Um, and so the Pope replied saying, what kind of hospitality is this? Um, and so the Nelson's reply to that was, yeah, see, you cops, you don't lack for anything, and yet you come asking for things. So Pope Crotus very firmly and intensely said, enough, kfei, right? right? I surrender, I leave you to God. I don't want anything from you right, and took himself and, and left. The man who organized the meeting, who looks really bad now, um, runs after him, um, and then the Pope tells him off, um, and he's saying, what kind of president doesn't even offer tea, right? Um, so Pope Cordus goes back, prays Vespers, because that's his rule, right? Like, he's not like, I'm not in the mood, right? He's consistent. Um, where am I? Um, and he eventually, he did his rule, goes to bed eventually. Then the same Muslim man who arranged the meeting, or former Muslim, frantically comes an hour before Tezbaha. This is the middle of the night, right? This is not normal. And so the president wants him urgently, right? And so he, he's prevented, like he wants to go bang on Baba Kurdos' door, and he's prevented from knocking on the door so that they don't wake him up. But then Baba Kurdos just comes out, dressed as patriarch, right? He knows when to wear the gear. Um, and just says, he, no one's even told him anything yet. And he just goes, let's go quickly, right? He knew that it was coming and he was waiting. This time it was going to be the president's actual home, right? Not the presidential palace, but his actual home. Nasser's daughter had fallen very ill and he believed, Nasser believed it was because of the patriarch's word. That's why he summoned him, right? In spite of the mood, he knew something was different about this man, right? But Pope Corliss didn't wait for an explanation. He's like, hey, what happened, right? He already knows. So he got out of the car and just said, where is she? Right? Like, just let's get to business. Um, he prayed over her for 15 minutes straight. God knows I would love to know what he prayed. Um, and she was healed. And the president said, from now on, 
I'll call you my father, and you will come to my house, and my kids are your kids. That's a big deal, right? Indeed, this would be very publicly seen, right? They would be seen publicly linking arms, engagés, right? Laughing with each other at different things together. The, 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 the external relationship is very clear, right? That something very real was going on um, through prayer. Um, they'd call each other in perso personal circumstances. They had a very, even Muslim historians have commented on this, right? And it was understood that the Pope used friendship rather than politics to help solve the problems of the Christians, right? This became a very big deal. So there'd be a long period of no communication after this for a very long time, not because they're angry, it's the busyness of their offices. Um, but this period was marked by many problems for the cops, a lot of problems. Sectarian strife got bigger, building permits for new churches were revoked, renovations were forcibly halted, they started having to have liturgies in the streets because people were kicked out of their churches by authorities, it was getting ugly. A mob took apart a church literally brick by brick, right? So these were very dark times. And this is important times because we sometimes think, oh, pressing times come for pressing measures, right? Or like, now we need to have action. But we will see how the man of prayer says, oh, pressing times call for more prayer. So things were blowing up and Nasser was silent, right? And the, the church had submitted files, they had submitted requests saying, like, can you please look into this? Nothing. So the synod in March of 65 asked the Pope to appeal to Nasser. Like, can you, like, your friends, can you, can you talk to the guy? But Pope Corlis felt encounters like we haven't been speaking much lately. Um, and he has the data, right? So he still doesn't abuse his rule, not as Pope and not as friend, right? Neither, right? That's not how he operates. So he decides to take things into his own hands. He prays. So on the eve of the Feast of the Rep Resurrection, April 24th of 65, Pope Krolos is praying in the Monastery of St. Mina that we're not talking about, that he built after much warfare about building. Um, everything was a fight for Pope Krolos, about Pope Krolos. Um, he never fought, he just prayed. But Pope Krolos dismissed everyone from the Monastery of St. Mina, right? Lots of people were there, and he sent them all home, even family. He prayed the feast with only a few monks, and he did something that was so bizarre to them. He told them to turn off all the generators. He said there, there'd be no need for light because the holy men don't want them. He's like, and they're like, what is he talking about? Um, cool, no light. Um, but what's cool, again, these disciples, which were very few at the time there, they're like, we don't need to get it, we know who he is, right? How did it say Right? So they turn off the lights. Actually, he hated being called Sayyidina. Um, either Abun al-Batrak or Baba, Baba Krulus, but he didn't like being called Sayyidina ever. Um, he prayed the liturgy and before starting, claimed that they, whoever they were, were late. Um, and he wept the whole liturgy and prayed in pitch dark except for a candle, which he was against. Pokros didn't like the Odessa Shama thing, the, the liturgy over a candle. After the liturgy, the Pope said to Bunur Fa'il, his disciple that's still alive from Arimina, um, go f that they should go feed the visitors, because, and that the church was filled to the last space. 
May their blessings be with us, he said. And then, as he's dismissing, he's still in the, in the church. Go in peace, go in peace, remember us in your prayers. Did the sign of the cross on the church and left. And everyone's so lost, and he's like, don't you understand? The sawah came. Only he had eyes that see. Right? And he was like, his supplication, his spirit of prayer, brought around him, gathered around him, all these people who are of prayer. Their unity was in prayer. It's not like he sent them a fax of being like, yo, liturgy at Marimina, right? It was a spiritual reality connected through the life of prayer united in Christ that they all showed up. And then what happens? The very next day, literally the next day, the vicar of the patriarchate said that Nasser has requested a meeting. Nasser brings in Pope Krolos and he is upset for Pope Krolos, not at Pope Krolos. Right? He says, I had no idea any of this was happening. My minister was hiding all of these things. I never saw a single dossier. I didn't know any of these requests. And I am now personally investigating every single one of them. And in that meeting that resulted only from prayer, the Pope and him resolved so many issues. Right? The president asked the Pope to come visit the house and his kids on top of it. But in those meetings... The 1856 Ottoman rule about church buildings was unofficially undone. He's like, how many churches do you need? I need this many? Okay, we'll do that many, right? They got permission to build 25 churches per year, is what Pope Cordless said on. The previous number permitted was zero, right? He got financial aid, even to the point that, and he didn't ask for it. That's the president, I want to. Right on top of it, the Cathedral of Labbesaya, right? That the the image of Coptic Central, right? That was built almost completely through the funds of the government, right? As a gift because of who Pope Krolos was, right? Because of who Pope Krolos was, and yet, as as usual, the Pope is a king who doesn't see himself as a king. Because on the great inauguration, we have like three days in Iksar reading of the inauguration and, and all this stuff, right? It's all this pomp. Pope Krulus, at the end of that ceremony, he's driving back to the patriarchate with his disciple, Bunrafi'il, in the vehicle, and he says, Yebni, my son, did you see the glory of today? Right? And Bunrafi'il is thinking, yeah, wasn't that a sick day? Right? And he was like, I did. Um, and he goes, and did you see the patriarchs? Because they had all these different delegates from all over. And he's like, yeah, I did. And he goes, and the president, and Emperor Haile Selassie of Ethiopia, is like, yes, Sayyidina, I did. And he goes, Yebni, and now it's with heaviness. All of this, everything, it's not worth one day of the tahumma. That's where his mind's at. The deepest level of his prayers with his God. The love was real, right? It was mutual. It wasn't just one way. When the Egyptian military was defeated humiliatingly, Nasser resigned, and the Pope went to his house, and the president told him that usually um, he would host him, right? Like, usually the house was open to him. He's like, but Malish, I'm sick, which is probably more than that. But Pope Krolis answered. He didn't get upset. He was like, Yani'i, right? He just says, I only want to hear one promise from you only. And so Pope Krolos, uh, so Nasser said, say it, my father. He said, the people demand that you remain in power. 
And Nelson's reply was, and I am at their command and your command. This arrogant dictator, forgive me, <laughs> right, is like putty, right, in the hands of Pope Krolos because of the sincerity of his love and his prayer. When, Krolos, when Pope Krolos returned to the Patriarchate early in the next morning, he rung the cathedral bells before it was even announced that he had revoked his resignation, right? Like he already knew, he was like, go ring them, right? He, in his way, expressed love back. This next section is, is the epitome of, of what it meant to be patriarch for him, related to the gospel that we're talking about. The greatest thing that caused difficulty for Volkorlos, the greatest thing that provoked criticism, anger from elders, bishops, priests, foreigners, was his prayer, right? Some of them would say, we wanted a patriarch, not an absaltos. Right? It's like we got some absaltos to Mohammed bin Bilhabel. Right? We wanted a pope. Um, what is this? Right? Psalmody, prayers, matins, vespers, liturgy, like nonstop. Um, and, and they would be like, and you're just leaving the church the way it is. The church, and this is ways that we talk. No, the church needs reform. The church needs healing. They're using good words. Right? Like who would be affronted by someone saying, we need reform, we need fixing? Like, like yeah. Right? And it's like, but but not like that, right? Um, and so the tide of public criticism was based solely on his prayer. It got so severe, so severe, that early on there was a movement in the Synod to stand him down because of his obsession with prayer, which they alleged was at the expense of his patriarchal duties. Right, then like, you suck at patriarch because you pray too much, so we have to fix that you suck at patriarch, so let's remove you. Right, that was their solution. Um, the Pope's behavior was unusual, right? They were like, what is he doing? Even the elders are like, right, like, right, all the time. Like, um, one time, there's a group that were on their way to see the Pope, and they were, they were going to come to see him with a concern. And one of the people in that crew was just like, what's the point of talking to him? We're going to go and gonna say, pray. Right? So they arrive at the patriarchate. They greet His Holiness. And Pope Cross looks at that. It was a priest. Looks at the priest and goes, you don't like my prayer, Achi? Right? Um, to which the priest <laughs> mumbled something. Um, uh, when a Daniel writes that the guy was like, can you do anything without prayer? He's trying to save face. Um, needless to say, he looked bad. Um, and then he learned a different kind of silence. Um, the patriarch <laughs> is a very holy man, complained another priest, right, to awaken who wrote the book. Like, like his complaint is holy, okay? Um, he's a saint, right? There is much praying every day, but we need more than prayer. Prayer is not enough, right? That was their complaint. To which Pope Krolos, his living way was completely opposite. Prayer is everything, right? What do you mean it's not enough? Prayer is everything. So in 1959, the very beginning of his papacy, right? I'm jumping back and forth in time because I'm dealing with categories instead of chronology. Um, 
12 prominent Cairo priests initiated a movement starting to write and circulate defamatory pamphlets. Keep in mind, this is not just the Pope generally. In Cairo, this is their own bishop, right? So this is not just a complaint about like the Pope. It's the Pope who is actually their direct bishop. As they're publishing these pamphlets, the printing press malfunctions. So they fix it. They keep going, and it stops again. When it stops again, it's irreparable. One of them has some spiritual thing going on um, and catches on, and he's like, this is because of what we're doing. So he goes running to His Holiness, kneeling and crying, sin absolve me. He goes, for what? Um, and when the priest started to explain, Pope Chris interrupted, like, yeah, 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 staying up till 1.30 every night to distribute the pamphlets, all the way to Alexandria and Aswan. And then your press broke, right? The guy has said nothing, right? And the priest is in marvel, A, that Sayyidina even knew. And he goes, Sayyidina, if you knew, then why didn't you say anything? And he said, I was praying for you. And he said, and with all my heart, I absolve you, my son. He really saw them as his kids, truly. They weren't just words for him, right? He's like, these are my kids. His response to allegations of too much prayer is to pray. Right? <laughs> that was why they're mad. Like, oh, pray for them. Right? And what's crazy to me, like when I like hear these stories, is they're seeing the miracles. Right? Like the guy like saw the clairvoyance. Right? But some people say, how could the Jews reject the Lord when they saw the miracles? That's how. Right? That's how. You can see holiness staring in front of the face, but the sword of truth. You don't like the truth, you'll attack. Right? You're not going to be like, oh, wow, I might be wrong. You're like, no, they must be wrong or deluded because I'm right. right. If something doesn't match what you like, you reject it. They didn't like his prayer. So they rejected him with his clairvoyance. How do they do with his clairvoyance? Just like they do with Christ. By the power of Beelzebub, you cast out demons. Some called him a fraud, a sorcerer, dabbling with witchcraft. This is their pope. You have clergy. This is in the church. right? Saying, no, he's a sorcerer. Other members of important places, like the lay council, wrote about him being a con man. And there's a famous incident where one of them wrote three papers on the Pope calling him a con man. And when the Pope went for the first time to the meeting with the lay council, the Magdalene Sinmili, Pope Corliss looked at him and goes, Ah, right? You're the guy of the three papers? Um, which was obviously would sound uncomfortable, but look at what he followed it with. It wasn't like, ah, I know. Right? And then he smiles and goes, by the way, you're going to have another child this time next year and I'll baptize him for you. Right? It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Right? Like, it's love. Right? He's Baba, literally. Ecclesiastically and spiritually. People are so unaccustomed to holiness that not everyone receives it warmly when they see it. So here's some anecdotes about his living prayer and the reactions to him. Abuna Samwira Suryani was a monk who was serving, and the Pope ended up doing similar to what Pope Yuseb had done, and he ordered all the monks back to their monasteries. This monk originally complied. Then he came back and said, I'm too attached to the church that I started, and I would like to pray the Feast of Nativity there. The Pope said no. Abuna Samir went to another church instead of the monastery. So he didn't go to the church he requested, but he didn't go back to the monastery. He shows up randomly at a church where the Pope randomly happened to be. 
um, not a good look. So Pope Krolos publicly rebuked Abuna. Writers saying this is not what we said. But here's the beauty of Pope Krolos. Later when the Pope went to visit the monasteries, he went to Abuna Samuel's monastery, Fidera Suryan, and Abuna wouldn't come out to see him. Right? He is shayil. He is, he's holding, he's, he's got a grudge. The Pope kept asking for him, and Abuna wouldn't come. Finally, when the Pope is going to go himself, he's like, I'll go to him. Right? Like, they're all like, no, 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 Sayyidina will get him. And he's like, I'll, I'll go. And it's not a big deal. I, I, I'll go to him. When, they, when he doesn't have him, finally Abuna came. The Pope waited smiling. And he asked Abuna for forgiveness and absolution. He's the Pope. Right? And he said, Abuna, right? He had Abuna read him the absolution. Even though he wasn't wrong, he apologized. So A, this shows that he's human. Yeah, yeah, he can get upset. Even if it's a justified upset, he was upset. But it also shows that he understood the point of his rebuke to Abuna. The point was not to, like, put Abuna in his place. Right? That wasn't his objective. If it was, then mission accomplished. He has no reason to, to go seek him out. He's like, whatever, I did what I'm supposed to do. He wanted to fix something, but he also loved him. He cared for the right teaching, but he also cared for the soul. Right? He was prayerfully pastoral. During the difficult years of the elections after the death of Pope Yosef, the period, there's a, a period where there's no Pope. Everyone was campaigning for who they wanted to be Pope. Right? We didn't talk about that yesterday, but it was a, it was a tough time. One of the monks, Abu Al-Ghaibis al was campaigning for a monk from his monastery to be Pope. So in doing so, because he wanted to promote his guy, he was actively defaming Abu Amina, who's now the Pope. Um, he would be discrediting his character, even in front of Pokros' family, right? where he would just tear Abu Amina to shreds. And when they'd come to Abu Amina being like, do you know what he's saying? He's like, Manish. It's from his zeal, right? He's zealous over his friend, what's the problem? Right, like no, no biggie. After his enthronement, he summons Abun Arabios, which probably freaked him out of his mind, and brought him and said, I want you to be in charge of the church that I built and labored, St. Mina's in Old Cairo, right? That was his whole self poured into that place, right? That he's like, that's what I want. Abuna was like, there's no way he means this, right? He thought it was a setup, and he says that he's the one who would tell the story over and over. He was like, no, I figured it's put him under the microscope so that we can find a reason to get him in trouble, right? So imagine his surprise when after a period serving there, after three years, Pokro summoned him again and made him metropolitan of the largest diocese in Sudan, right? There was no punishment. It was instead... Yeah, you don't like me. It doesn't matter. You're gifted. I see that you're gifted and you can benefit the church. I don't care what you think of me. I'm happy that you're laboring in God's work. Right? He, he, there, again, the emptying of self was so real. His living prayer results in forgiveness, the lack of retribution, making excuses for others, looking for good in others, using someone's gift even if you don't particularly have fondness. These are how we can learn from Pope Rose. Right? I don't know how many of us do that. Bishop Gabriel, I'm embarrassed to say this, is from St. Anthony's Monastery, which is the best, but sometimes there's mistakes. Um, he had played a big role in getting rid of Pope Yuseb when he was put under house arrest. Um, for some reason, this 
had been disseminating insults and derogatory letters against Pope Krullus, hoping that what happened to Pope Eusebe would happen to Pope Krullus. So in reaction on June 22, 1961, right, the, like two years-ish into his papacy, the Synod assembled to investigate and discuss what, Pope, what Bishop Gabriel was doing and other accusations of a theological nature against Bishop Gabriel. If Pope Krullus was the vindictive type, he'd be like, justice, right? And be like, animali, right? Like, he can easily be like, uh, it's not me, right? You brought it on you. Instead, Pope Krullus is recorded in the minutes of the council of the synod saying, I am so sad, hagatehsen, that at the beginning of my patriarchate that I stand in a trial of a bishop. In any event, if this is what you're going to do, do not mention any accusation against Bishop Gabriel that are related to me. I forgive him, and I give up any rights that I have in this matter. Don't make this about me. Right? That was, that was the response. He didn't make it about himself. He was internal with the Lord. He was silent. Even when there's words, there's a silence of the heart he can hear. He didn't view himself as even having rights. I think he was speaking in the language of the people. He was like, yeah, you think this is what it is? Yeah, whatever. He kept it objective. Also, he wasn't excited at the idea of personal justice, right? And even made it clear, I'm actually not happy that this is happening, right? Like, at all. Like, any of it. Not just the personal. Any of it. And that's a big lesson to us. Do you rejoice at bad stuff? Do you look forward to judgment of people, right? Do you delight in finding out that there are proceedings to get someone in trouble in the name of justice? Right? I mean, like, yes, justice served. Are you excited to hear that, right? Or are you looking as mercy as your starting point, as covering as your starting point? You shouldn't delight. If you delight, then you're missing the point. You're not seeing neighbors as your neighbors. Even if judgment is forced to occur, if you're living properly, you shouldn't take delight. You should be prayerful, right? Of being like, Lord, cover us. If anyone knows what I've done, right? If I'm under the trial of public opinion, I'm not going to stand a day, not even a minute, right? What do you rejoice at? Pope Krolos never lost sight of that. At the same synod, Pope Krolos asked for a list of bishops. This shows another way of his humility, ordained by Pope Yuseb. Um, because there was a lot of allegations that were valid of simony, of people paying for holy orders. And Pokros asked for this of names because, like, I have to deal with this, right? But the secretary of the synod, he, like, the Pope had given him that as an agenda item, being like, I want the names. The Pope is waiting for them, like, as the meeting progresses, huh, like, when I bring this up, it doesn't come up. Um, Pope Krolos, like, probably... Pokro stayed quiet, and, and I probably was giving the looks of like, Ophi. Um, and the secretary of the synod just acted like nothing was going on. So Pope Krolos, who had every right to be like, well, I'll bring it up, didn't. He submitted himself to this person. He stayed quiet, and the session ended. Later at night, he summoned the Metropolitan. And the reason wasn't he awed him. He even, as we're going to see, gave him the benefit of the doubt. He brought the Metropolitan, the secretary of the synod, and told him, 
whether you ignored or you forgot, and he meant it, I don't know. Right? I'm not accusing you of either of them. I'm just saying whether you ignored or forgot, I don't know. However, I don't want to pray the liturgy tonight with something in my heart towards you. I was bothered. Right? Healthy, loving confrontation without an accusation. Just saying, this is what troubled me. I don't know the source of it, but I am troubled. And I don't want to pray. I don't want to approach the altar without peace with you. The Metropolitan told him, yes, I ignored it. I ignored it for the sake of the unity of the patriarch and the synod. Pope Carlos could have fought back and been like, well, that's my decision to make, for example. And he'd be right to say that. Instead, he says, he gave up his right and said, you're right. Right? He saw the rightness in another opinion. He didn't insist on his way. He didn't say, you might be right, but you should have. No, it was done. Yes, you're right. Done. Um, and then, again, just like you do with the Buna, Sayyidina, absolve me. And he made the Metropolitan read him the absolution, and then he read the absolution of the Metropolitan. Furthermore, the Metropolitan knew that he himself had received his office through Simini. And he knew that the Pope knew that. Right? He knew that. He was worried about himself. The Pope didn't even touch it. Right? Didn't mention it, didn't bring any attention to that. What kind of love is this? Right? How many things, how he saw things clearly. He saw things as they were. To me, that's clairvoyance. Right? We think clairvoyance is just knowing thoughts. Clairvoyance is not just about reading thoughts, it's about seeing things as they really are. Right? That acuity of vision. Right? It's on another level. Look at how living prayer transforms things. Imagine if he actually insisted on his way. The church would have fractured. Right? There'd be two, there'd be two Coptic Orthodox churches in Alexandria today if he wasn't in living prayer. Right? That would have been the end result. Sometimes we think we need to be the truth teller, the exposer, the whistleblower. Do you? Do you really need to be? Right? Or do you just assume that role? It's clear that he's not afraid to speak up for what's right. But there's a discernment of the where, the when, and the how. Right? If you don't live a life of prayer, if you're not in union with him, if you're not in dialogue with him, you won't know how he, being God, thinks. And you won't know how to discern. You won't. And amazingly, this Metropolitan, even after seeing this humility, eventually decides to get a committee together to depose the Pope. Right? He still didn't trust it, of being like, no, he's still maneuvering. Why? Because he maneuvers. Right? People see people the way that they really are. So he's viewing through that lens. He got these people together to depose him. Um, the Pope was called uneducated, with no priorities other than prayers, as though it's a criminal act. And he traveled around all of Egypt getting signatures. And Pope Cruz heard about the plot. So what was his solution? Prayer. He went to St. Mark, his predecessor, and said to him, This will be the last time I come here to you. I will go to the desert and not return if his endeavor succeeds. That's it. I present to you my issue. Right? No anything else. The next day, instead of taking his medicine, the Metropolitan drank pesticide and died. Pope Cruz's reaction, 
he wept. I said, على عشان شوية ورقة for what? For some papers with signatures? He was sad. And he commemorated him at the altar in that day's liturgy out loud. Prayer leads to a different kind of justice, and there's these these things that happen here. I'm not offering an explanation. I don't. I'm not making a statement, but they're facts. A rich family that was accustomed, because of their wealth, to choose their bishop, came to the pope requesting a bishop, and the pope said no. To stand up for what's right, like that's not how it works. It's not because you're rich. That's not how we do it. They threatened to convert to Catholicism. He said, no. They had a mini altar ballot as though that was going to change it. The person they chose on the altar ballot died. In another case, a man spoke for a diocese and said, we will send back. They said, if Pokros, if you, send, if you ordain for us without who we choose, we're going to send him back to you. Um, and we're sending you this man whom we would like to be ordained. The Pope said, no. The man died on the way back to the diocese. So I don't know what the meaning is of those. I don't, right? Like, it looks like it means something. I don't know. But the thing is, Pope Carlos wasn't praying for that, right? Pope Carlos was just being and doing right. He was still, right? There's just noise to him. A person who fully surrenders to God is fully justified by God. A person who suffers injustice is the most near to God's heart. Right? He who himself offered himself up to injustice and was slain unjustly by his own creation. In all these examples and trials, though, he was not ever triumphant when stuff happens. He saw all of them as his kids. He saw them in need of prayer and example and mercy. He just stayed silent to the point that one time the late uh, Metropolitan Daniel of Khartoum, another modern saint of our time, was talking to him on a balcony, and they could hear the insults of the bishops right below him. Like, they didn't realize how after like he's upstairs, right? And they're just tick, 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 right? And Pope Carlos was just silent, right? How many of us treat others this way instead of wanting retribution? How many times if someone messes up in service do we want punishments or bans? Right? Get rid of them. Right? This needs to be a lesson. Why? They messed up. They made a mistake. We make mistakes. Right? How many of us justify them and say, no problem, there's a mistake, let's learn. Right? Are we seeking the right? Are we seeking the good? Do we seek to rehabilitate or do we seek to be vindictive? Right? There's a deep lesson in this. On another occasion, Abuna Salib Suriel spoke of Pope Krolos, um, where he went to Pope Krolos being like, yes, yeah, Sayyidna. Like, can you please go discipline this group of unruly bishops? And he goes, what is it to you, my brother? Right? It's none of your business. These are, he said, my sons. I'm here to teach them. It's my choice how I teach them. Right? Why, why are you even, like, he could have been like, right? Like, and looked for the, the pity. Right? And being like, you see how it goes for me? Sucks to be me. Right? And instead, it's just like he's rebuking him, being like, what do you want? Right? They're not your kids. They're my kids. Right? And I love them. Um, do you bear things in silence? I, I don't. Do you complain? 
how beautiful the virtue of his, and yet again human. In another letter, you see this other side of Pope Carlos that's so moving, where he says, I wanted to write to you daily, but God knows it's because of too much grief and difficulties. I couldn't even write one line. But the Almighty Lord who comforts us at all times with the Comforter, His Holy Spirit, has comforted us during these days. We thank Him from all our hearts, asking Him to provide for the needs of our life according to His will. We sometimes think that to be holy means we don't experience pain or suffering, right? That we pretend to be fine with something when we're actually hurt. He had real emotions. He was joyful and excited when good things happened, and he was sad when things went ways he didn't prefer or when injustices happened. He was upset when people were unmerciful. He just knew himself. And on top of it, he kept those who opposed him closest to him, not the opposite. Bishops who didn't like him, whoever, those were who he kept close. This is how you find out your vices. This is how you become better. When you surround yourself in an echo chamber with yes-men, you're just gratifying your will and your ego, right? You're so awesome, you're so good, they don't get you, you're, you're a victim, you're, you're just going to have that reinforced. Seeking praise and affirmation often means that you want to be the source of right. You want people to affirm you so that you can be clear that I am right. But the true renunciation of oneself as a standard I saying, I'm not the standard. I want to know what's right. Allows you to be safe and comfortable by being in the presence of opposition. Being able to hear the no calmly. And then, oh, they might be wrong. They might be right. In the same way that he tenezed from, from positions. I'm just going to say as a, as a brief point, we all know his relationship with the saints. Um, because I'm going to end right now with his, with his death in a moment. But he sometimes said out loud what he would see, right? Um, where there's a famous story where, because as we said, he's always very solemn in liturgy. One time, somebody saw him suddenly laugh in liturgy. He's like, no, 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 say no, what is that? Right? Like, you don't laugh. And he was refusing to speak at first, and finally he spoke. He's like, but you don't get to tell anybody. Um, and he's like, I was deeply troubled about an issue related to like the, the cops, and suddenly Merimina appeared to me and asked me why I was upset. When I explained the reason, Merimina goes, you think you're alone? We're all here supporting you. And then he lightly like just jabbed him in the side, and it was when he jabbed him that Pokros laughed, right? And so he was like, that's, that's why he laughed. But he knew when to speak and not to speak, and there's an intimacy between them that he didn't need to share. He's like, this is my private relationship with Merimina, I don't need to talk about it. Right? And he was so charismatic with this. There's another famous story where there's a story of Mary Girgis and Mary Mina's icons being um, on two sides of, of the Virgin Mary or of Christ. And Pope Rose jokingly looks at Mary Girgis because he's the prince of the martyrs. And he goes, even in this, you need to be superior. Right? You're, you're a few inches above Mary Mina. Um, and in front of everybody, it moved down the two inches. Um, which also shows that the saints have a sense of humor um, in what they're doing, right? I can imagine when they're like, St. Mary's appearing as I turn, he's like, that's nice. That's good. Um, she's nice. Um, because for him, that was normal. But he was faithful to the last breath. Apparently, he knew it was five years away and that he said it in 1966. 
that he had five years left. He spoke very often about his traveling. But imagine knowing you're going to die for five years. That's heavy. I remember the night before I was going to the monastery where I had no intention of ever serving or talking to people again. Um, and just disappearing. I found just that night hard. Right? Like where all my friends are over and they have no ideas. Like it was, it was Christmas. There was a reason. Right? And they're talking about Blackberry versus iPhone. And I'm like, yo, I'm going to die tomorrow. Right? Like, whereas imagine for five years and you're building and constructing and working and laboring and you know you're going to exit soon. In May 1970, nine, ten months before his death, the Pope was at the Monastery of St. Mary Mina that he, he built, as we said, against much opposition. And he said his goodbye in a completely different manner than usual. He called upon Hegemon Mina of Amina, that would later be Ambamina of Amina, another saint. All of his disciples pretty much became saints. Um, the monastery's abbot, and spoke to him very briefly while fighting his tears, which eventually conquered him. He just broke down. He gave them each kolonsoas for each of the monks. He did tamgid for St. Mark and St. Mina in both churches and the monastery. And he was holding an icon of St. Mark that he had had since he was a solitude, since he was in solitude in the desert. And he was trying to smile, but his tears kept coming down. And he wouldn't sit down for one-on-ones with any of them that visit, um, and instead got into his car crying. And they, the, the monks were like, why is he not smiling? Um, where is the, the, the meetings we're used to, the guidance, the discipleship? What's the, the secret behind these tears? Why is he holding St. Mark's in his hands? And it's because he knew it was his last visit. Shortly after, he developed a DVT, a deep venous thrombosis. Still didn't relax his cannon. The DVT grew to 10 centimeters blockage, and so he was ordered bed rest, um, which probably was killing him because he couldn't go and pray the liturgy. So he'd have the liturgy played where he was, which was very high tech for his time, right? Like that's it's not like it's not easy. Like no, I can't. I, I have to have it playing. It was excruciating for him not to be able to pray, even more than the pain was. Because of it, he suffered multiple heart attacks. And even though it was nothing compared to being away from the altar. Even while struggling to stay alive, his body struggling to stay alive, he, he was fine. Even in that state, people were trying to have him removed and have others take his place. There's no moment of peace for Pope Krulus. He kept his silence. He recovered for a few months, and then in March, he got a bad bout of influenza, influenza, and a visiting relative was there, and he said, I want to travel. On March 7th, he looked to have recovered enough, and against all the advice of the docs, he prayed liturgy. On March 8th, he brought in his secretary, Abuna Binyamin, and said, that's it, Father. Everything is over. Health is gone. Life has ended. Take care of the church. Attend to its needs. May God be with you and look after your affairs. He blessed him, gave him important files that nobody had seen before, um, and to force him out, give him the cross to dismiss him. On Tuesday, March 9th, 
He woke at 5.30, turned on the speakers to pray with the fathers in the cathedral, and then opened his doors. Seeing those who want to see him, one by one. And he knows he's leaving. May God take care of your affairs to each person who came. After a few hours, he came to the door and asked whether there remained, look at his language, any of his children who want to see him. He then raised his cross and looked at all those who were with him and said, one final time, God take care of your affairs. The door closed, he became lightheaded and fell. Um, a disciple got him to his bed, but by the time the doctor arrived, only minutes later, the silent patriarch at 10.30 breathed his last. He traveled. He wanted to be buried in the clothes he died in, and they found in his drawers all the insulting letters. That's what he kept. He died praising, he died dying. He died as prayer, and today lives triumphantly praying. And the one who saw no glory is glorified in Christ. His prayers be with us. And glory to God forever, amen. If we can do, um, <clears throat> Sorry, I need to get humor to fix it. Um, if we can, I know it's we finished a little late. If you guys are willing just to do the a veneration for Pope Krolos, um as we end it, um, it's to the the tune of Ip uh, Oro from the Tengit. The tradition of the great ancient and illustrious comes the great Abakirillus, whom we venerate with both at the turn of the last century, raised in a Christian flock. Of you among foretold, this one is our song. In a pious home you were raised and taught of God's great love. From childhood it was clear he'd marked you from above. Of the monastic way you generously imbibed of the charity of your youth, your brother. As you saw the sighting of the poor and had contempt for disparity, regardless of if you have the charity. Indeed, poverty was no feat for you of no earthly needs to unite with him. You, yeah, they showed it. In the cave of his own room, this father made himself practicing asceticism in secret, no man to tell. 
For years you practiced this, and I to earthly things. Nothing could bind your soul, neither sin or wealth. Oh, the joy you felt that day, full of peace and great gladness. When all ties were overcome, and you left for the wilderness. For your wondrous friend, you received your name, Oxios Abamina, your wonders would be the same. You took a deserted cell, worthless to the passerby, but in you truly fought and proclaimed your battle cry. To sit in you were a warrior, the fathers you were a son, to brothers a servant, by this all things you want. Love all but keep distance was your famous way, for a love worth more than words is always to pray. Truly you became prayer incarnate when you left even the and became a unafraid of earthly law or by men to be judged. He obeyed the rule of love and with exiled monks he trudged. From there to the wilderness, you return to the holy hill, living again alone in the small wind. To the pe people came, you converted many souls, you fought the enemy on his head, you he. Between there and old Cairo, your abode was made, healing the souls of men, now became yours. When the throne of St. Mark was vacant for some years, God called you to lead, you overcame with tears. Christ is the good shepherd, you declare to all, in meekness bowed your head and began your On your head were laid the hands, and all set of all were moved to tears, Axios of Akira. You did not worship Brahma, nor rule with an iron, but let the wayward flock to find the kingdom of God. With the joyous you rejoiced, with the mourners you did weep, firm when needed to be, desiring to keep your sheep. Though a giant in the faith, you let the clergy teach, while you, the true elder, rarely did you. In 
Instead, your words were your deeds, your love and compassion, your assist and unending love, your incessant supplication to the altar, you the taking their burdens and pain in the image of the true high priest, as though Christ had come for truly every day your hands in prayer is the altar was your own daily fire on it place how can we neglect to speak of your friendship with the great saint mary mina of the heavenly fellowship you taught us that in truth these bonds can be attained, that heaven cares for and that unity can be gained. So in your days Our Lady came to us, dressed in apparel of life, in beauty illustrious. As a symbol of your prayers, this vision was received that heaven hears the earth. No longer were we grieved. You invested in the youth and in education. You raised in twelve short years the leaders of our generation. Gregory and Samuel, Shinoda and Matthew the poor, from these your disciples the church saw great grand to steer the church with you, strong bishops you ordered, so that your time with the people would always be Loved by kings and rulers, your role was not confused. The church is not the state, politics you refused. On a street did you build, said monks you ordered. The first was the saintly Mina, the last of papal nomen. Your disciple to us, Rivi, on the day of your last breath, you sent him to bring the people, no thoughts for your own. Bring the people to me, you said, invite them from the like the wedding of the bridegroom for whom your your parting prayer that day, yes, your last actions, I entrust you to our God, all your needs he will arrange. The giant fell asleep, the pillar breathed his last of the caliber and greatness of all the ages past. Children, 
Wonder worker of our time, in virtue illustrious, seer of the souls of men, truly victoria before the throne of God. For all of us pray, O God of Ababirillos, hear us when we say, Kiri 
O King of peace, grant us your peace, accord to us your peace, forgive us our sins, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, the blessing, and the might forever. Amen. Lord, my Lord, we pray with all things in the intercession of the Mother Theotoko, Saint Mary, the Great Saint Athanasius, Saint Anthony the Great, and Saint Pope Corlus, and Mary Mina, when we pray with all thanksgiving, our Father who art in heaven, be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not temptation, but us in the evil one. In Christ, you said, Lord, for thine is the kingdom of power and glory forever and ever. And now the love of God the Father.